Hello and welcome to The Game Agenda, a podcast where four gay guys bring board games out of the closet and onto the table. I'm Nick. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. And I'm Larry. And today we're going to talk about a trio of games, Flea, Fortress, and Fear, all by the same designer, and then talk about the Board Game Geek Golden Game Awards. Golden Geek Awards. Golden Geek Awards. Uh, But first, like we do most weeks, we're going to talk about what we played. Matt, what have you been playing? Uh, so I finally got to play Clank in Space. Ooh. In space. I haven't I haven't played it yet, but I love Clank. What do you think? Um, so it's like Clank, but instead of is it in, in space? space? Instead <laughs> of a dragon, it's uh, Megatron coming after you. Um, How do they get the rights to Megatron? Oh, sorry, it's. God, if I know what his name is. There's some fake name, but it's clearly Megatron. You got me excited because I was thinking it was all Transformers themes. Um, the enemies are Transformers. Like the the, the Goblin is, is a Transformer thing. Deceptibot or something like that. Um, Wait, so, really? It's called a Deceptibot? I don't know. It's called okay, something that's you clearly... You now become an untrue teller. It's we something just... different enough that it's not transformers but it's still transformers everything is like that in this game so um, is it meant to be a parody like that's everything is a parody so so kind of like clank was with a lot of references exactly (laughs) so there's tons of star wars parodies like the g do or for the jedi there's like princess helia and like all sorts of other different stuff like that um but anyway the the big difference between clank and uh clank in space is they changed up a lot of they smoothed out and changed up a lot of the mechanics um, you can't go get an artifact until you've like hacked some terminals and the board has some modularity to it. So there's a lot more replayability. And that's then cool. The other thing that I really just like is that the game just lasts longer. There's less mm-hmm. attack cards that you draw from the deck, uh, which gives you more opportunity to sort of build up your deck and get new things. Well, because that was a lot of the problem with Clank a little bit was like mm-hmm. people running in and running out too quickly and then yes. causing yeah. chaos for everybody else. And it's a push your luck idea, but still. Yeah, and Clank, you could always just like, I run in, I grab the thing and I get out and then I just, in four turns, the game is over. In, in Clank in Space, if you leave early, there's no, like, only four turns and then the game is over. It's just on each of your turns, you do an attack on everybody. So okay. uh, it doesn't give you as much incentive to just, like, get out early. Uh, and in fact, in our game, nobody actually escaped. Um, wow. Yeah, we had one person died in the depths or whatever it's called. And then the other two people died in the space station, which was the safe area where you get to score your points. Uh, but... I like it a lot. Uh, it, it adds um, factions, sort of like a Star Realms type faction thing where different cards have colored factions on them. And if you play at least two of that color, then you get to trigger its faction bonus. It's sort of like the allies or uh, adventurers or whatever. They're a little yeah, bit. Kind of yeah, like, it's a little bit. A little but bit. It expands. It, so there's like the Jedi faction and then the... But they're color coded at least. So it's yes. easy to tell mm-hmm. and easy to see. Yeah, so I liked it a lot. Uh, it was really fun, and I definitely would like to play it again. Now, have you heard anything, or has anybody heard anything on Mummy? I've heard have, it's coming out. <laughs> I have not. I'm okay. really hoping that the Mummy is like sort of Clank and Spaceifying regular Clank, because I love, I love the mechanics in Clank and Space, but I actually like the fantasy theme of regular Clank better. Do you know if Clank and Space works with the app? Uh, I did not know there was an app. Oh I yeah, there's a, there's a, Renegade has an app that lets you um, play it with that the board sense. game. So you can mm. either play it as a solo experience using the app, or you can use the app for a group game and it adds additional kind of side quests that you can do to get benefits and victory nice. points. So, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's that's my big thing that I've been playing. How about you, Larry? 
Me, uh, I just got in my Kickstarter of um, The City of Kings, and I had a chance to play it solo. Uh, went through kind of uh, one of the skirmishes, and uh, I really enjoyed it. It's your basic, basic kind of dungeon crawl, total non-Euro, total Ameritrash type game. So it's Kingdom Death Monster again? Kind of, <laughs> but not the same genre, I suppose. You basically, though, have two adventurers and you kind of wander around a map fighting monsters, trying to complete missions and goals and leveling them up and going up a skill tree and gaining experience points. And, you know, it, it scratches all those kind of role-playing game itches in a board game format. And it's not too cumbersome to set up, which is sometimes a problem for some of those games. What makes it special? Like why this versus, to you know, Matt's point, you know, some of these other games? Well, um, I think the art in this game is pretty, and I enjoy the um, the mechanic. It's it's got like these workers that you move around as well that collect resources, and then you use them to kind of Ooh. Mm-hmm, to buy equipment. That sounded and, very Euro of you, as opposed to Ameritrash. Yeah, no, it's it's still Ameritrash. I mean, <laughs> it's still workers Ameritrash. are collecting things, resources Resource gathering, and worker placement. <laughs> it's not worker placement. I didn't say worker placement. It's just workers. She's like little. It's your little worker token, and you send him out onto the board to to avoid monsters to and, different places. To <laughs> no, 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 because you don't place them. You, you don't place them. them. You move them, to, and they scavenge. They scavenge the dead bodies of the monsters that you kill. Like it's they're like your little it's worker followers. movement. Okay, very very different. I think very different. Kevin, what have you been playing? Nothing. I've Aww. been staring at a bunch of my boxes from Kickstarter that keep coming in, but because I'm moving, I keep like not being able to get them to the table. So I have like the entire collection of Railways of the World. The entire collection that just How got delivered. How many are there? There was, well, it started with, I think the Kickstarter was for um, Railways of Nippon, I think was the last one. Mm-hmm. But it comes with the mm-hmm. anniversary edition of Railways of the World, the Western United States, North America, Britain, I think. Um, I think there's another country there in there, too. Are there different mechanics in each of the maps, well, too? So I haven't had a chance to open all this and do it, because <laughs> I know that there's the base game, and, and Nippon plays with it. I think the others are, like, weird expansion-y type things, but, like... Have you played any of them? No. <laughs> <laughs> we have to ask Ben, our board None. game, our railways of the I know, world ben, expert. Ben needs to come... Expert. Okay, we will I'm have sure to patch him in at some point. I love Rails. I, I played it once, uh, and I the, really the, liked it, the too. The basic game. Railways of the world. Okay. I don't know if it was the basic game. It was the whole U.S., we played like it's oh a, no it wasn't it's a no, it was only game. the eastern I'm US. afraid of it I'm not interested well, this that's one's why, fun because yeah. you sort of like choose where mm. you want to build your rails and then most train games you pick it's where you kind of no but this rails. one it's literally like an open map with hexes on it and so you can sort of build in whatever like it sounds direction like you every want. train game that there is like what like 18xx or oh, ticket to ride or transamerica so, yeah, so ticket to ride and the routes are pre-made right yes. and you just choose which of the pre-made routes to build and railways of the world it's like the whole map is like hexes and you're actually sort of like oh i'm gonna build these rails here but then somebody else might come in and they like build rails like over where you want to go and so you're sort of like fighting over and so then it's like well great now i can't take the direct route i gotta build my rails like extra long and like make a turn and then connect to like the that, other side of that the doesn't city. even sound substantially different than like ticket to ride other than not being totally pre-programmed more, where the rails are it's more it's economic. just empty spaces it's, right. it's, like spot. it's more economic and there's pickup and delivery to it where you're like gathering different goods and then using them off 
through your rail lines to deliver them. And I mean, um, there is a big difference, I think, when you can make your railway go wherever you want versus yeah. you're following a color chart. Because then you're connecting oh, okay, existing rails to others and like... I come back to my original point, train game. Yeah. It sounds like every other train game. It's yeah. wonderful. Of okay. the world. Of the world. <laughs> How about you, Nick? I've been very boring. I have played like 20 hours of Magic in the last two days <laughs> and I'm just getting ready for tournaments. So I haven't even touched a board game. Do you have like a special regimen for like getting ready for a tournament? Like I, no, I feel like I don't have a anything Rocky like, montage. <laughs> oh my it's gosh, we need when a montage. It, it's whenever you have time, you play Magic. <laughs> it's, the mo- it's the montage of him, of him going to pick up cards from people's houses. Yeah, exactly. It's that, and like think of like the the World of Warcraft montage from the, or, um, from South Park, where it's just me sitting at a computer playing all the time. What's so. your What's your food regimen like then to get into training shape? Is there something special you do? I haven't eaten since like noon today, so there you go. That's, <laughs> that's about where that, that's actually you have to train your stomach no so you don't have to get up. No, it's like see when you're at a Magic tournament, the only option is convention center food, Ugh. and the line is seven miles long, so you're gonna wait longer than the tournament match probably do you have runners get a, for like, that do you have people who run and so, get you food so sometimes you have magic moms that are like your friends there that you have either not played in the tournament or have dropped out and they like can go on your Did errands you for magic you. moms yeah exactly yeah. they're magic moms <laughs> they're they're being magic mom at that point uh, i have been a frequent magic mom in the past because i lose sometimes is it um, is it like worker placement? Yeah, you exactly. Send them to go well, no, do it's something. worker movement because you then take your your magic friend and you send them out <laughs> to scavenge the dead bodies of your Good. opponents. Thanks, thank you for so. clarifying that. <laughs> to scavenge the dead bodies. <laughs> so that should bring us to the main agenda for this week, where we review Fear, Fortress, and Flee, three games all by the same designer. Friedman Freeze? freeze? Yep. It's Friedman Freeze's Fast Forward, Fearfully and Fortress. Wow, that was actually game. really good, man. <laughs> that good. It's not bad. So in case you can't tell, um, in case you don't know who Friedman Freeze is, he's designed a whole bunch of games, and he always names his games with an F word. Um, <laughs> which, which F word? As many as you can Go. think of. Uh, I'll, I'll buy the one. <laughs> some of them include uh, Finished, Fabled Fruit, 504, 504, yep, uh, Funkenschlag, um, <laughs> Fresh Fish. So, uh, you know, in Fear, Fortress, and Flea, all oh. continue that thing. In addition, all of his boxes and most of the, like, color palette is in some shade of green. That is mm-hmm. his always kind of iconic color. No, 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 you're no. right. It is green. green. Oh, thank you. Green. <laughs> it's, it's the color <laughs> green. <laughs> So, no, and who published this one? Uh, these are published by Stronghold Games. Does Stronghold do all his games? No, uh, they've done around. the most recent recent kind of set. This fabled, excuse me, this um, yeah, this fabled game idea is, I think, a Stronghold mm-hmm. like mechanic. All the Stronghold published ones use this mechanic. Does Stronghold like do they work with him on this idea, or does he kind of just bring it to them? Do we know? I don't think they work with him. I think they just bring it bring it to him like they're it's stuff that he's already kind of designed and yeah. they're the publisher here in the u.s how long has he been doing this f bit oh my god it's his entire <laughs> career i mean it's every game that he's done he's his entire career <laughs> this is this is not rupaul's drag race where you can just put rue in front of everything and make it work matt i'm sorry this all episode by the make way make it work <laughs> make it work he makes it work I makes a fear fun. that if you keep this up, I may flee and have to put a wall blocking us like a fortress. No, yeah, the last was, one was a stretch. That was bad. So if bad. every word had been with an F, I would have been really impressed. I was, was going to give you credit uh, if you could work fortress for, in somehow, though. For good. But, 
<laughs> so what are fear, flee, and fortress about? Well, funny you should ask, Matt. So the first one, flee, is a co-op game where you're playing as Alice in Wonderland characters and trying to escape monsters. And it starts as one and kind of, there might be some twists and turns, but I don't want to reveal too much. Uh, fortress is a competitive game as opposed to flee, which is a lot more kind of story-based or co-op, uh, where you are trying to take over fortress um, the fortress in the center, and if you have it at the end of the round when all the hourglasses come up, then you win the round. And if you're me, you win all the rounds, basically. And Whoa. <laughs> down right there. Uh-huh. And then fear is a little bit different, kind of similar to fortress, for like further away from flee, although they all use the same mechanics, where the goal is to not lose, and at the end of the game, if you didn't lose, you then get to score your hand, and if you have the most points in that round, then you win the round. The all three games use this fable mechanic where basically the deck is pre-ordered and you go through it in that order. And as you go through it, new rules are introduced or old rules are changed in various ways. And so it, it there's no rule book in Wait, these games. He, he didn't do flux, did he? I don't no. think so. Because now, no. <laughs> just now that we're talking about the F, flux is also, you know, has that mechanic That's of the by, rules. Flux is by, um, oh God. Flux is by Looney Labs, isn't it? I, yeah, I think Pretty you're sure I think it's that's, that's. You mean Flooney Labs? <laughs> anyway, yeah. this is going to get fold really this fast. This episode <laughs> brought to you by the letter F. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, with this these games, you don't need any rules because the game teaches you how to play. So, the first card you flip over is the very basics of how you go about taking a turn, and then by the third, fourth card in, you're off you know, playing a, a full game until, you know, the, the end of the, the first or second round, a new rule is introduced, which kind of twists the game in some way. And it keeps happening throughout the, the, the course of the deck. And then once you're all done, you can either reorder the deck and then play it again at a later time with other folks, or you can just shuffle all the cards up and just kind of have a randomized experience. So... Yeah, it's definitely a lighter game as far as things, you know, especially versus like things that we've reviewed, but even just kind of on the spectrum of games. Each of these would be perfect if like you just had four friends over who aren't really serious gamers and you just want to kind of play something new. Um, It's not as in-depth of an experience. The game tells you exactly what to do. They're certainly fun, but you're not, you know, you should be going into this with thinking that you might get an hour out of it, um, but not an in-depth like super strategy heavy game absolutely they're all very light games in my opinion i, I mm-hmm. and i appreciate that knowing that they're light, they're not you should go in there expecting a, a big heavy experience it's just not what these games are well what's also really nice about it is the fact like you said there's no there's no prep really needed once you if the deck's been ordered the instructions are all in there and so you learn them together it doesn't require somebody to go off and read a rule book <laughs> and try and teach the friends how to play you're learning to play as the game goes along which gets people who are like really antsy and want to just start mm-hmm. a really great game to play yeah, zero setup time also you really don't nice. have to teach them you can make them read the cards and explain the rules mm-hmm. <laughs> and the games all have a very small footprint the boxes are all small they can easily fit in a backpack you can keep it in the glove box of your car so if you're going you know on a camping trip you're going you know to to visit fishing, the grandparents' house, fishing, anything. Farming, uh, uh, phoning <laughs> friends, any of those favorite things. <laughs> any of those things. You could bring this game with you and, uh, you know, play it with your family. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, also friends. Kevin, do you think phone starts with an F? <laughs> <laughs> as much as some of the other games, I think he does. <laughs> so of these three games, which was kind of your guys' favorite? Fortress. 
Fortress. Uh, I weirdly am drawn to Flea. Okay. Why do you or like? Are you drawn away from Flea? What? You're fleeing <laughs> Flea. You're running about, away about, from it. How about you, Larry? <laughs> Uh, I think I probably would pick Fortress. I think Fortress is the most replayable for me. I enjoy all three of them. Mm-hmm. I thought they were all wonderful experiences. But I think for me, Fortress was the one that I would want to replay again with friends yeah. and family. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed Fortress. Uh, not just because I won, but it has a mechanic where you're fighting over a fortress. So it's very dynamic based on the choices of the players as opposed to some of the other ones where it can get it feeling a little bit more scripted like obviously what cards come off the top of the deck are is a core mechanic of the game but how you attack based on just kind of hidden information in that game really changes how the game plays so even though you know it's all a little scripted and all of these games kind of are the games were very very different every single time and i imagine if you mix up who's in your group then they're Mm -hmm. completely different from how we played the first time yeah, so the main the main mechanic in most of these games um, is on your turn you either draw a card or you play a card. At least in Fear and Fortress, that's the general mechanic. Um, and what I like about Fortress is that you're basically building up an army, right? So I can attack a fortress with my army. Um, the armies have different values depending on the number but they all, all of the cards you use to attack have to be the same value. Uh, and so what's interesting is that you don't know when the round's going to end because there's these three hourglasses. And when the third one's drawn, boom, that's it. Uh, so on your turn, it's like, do I attack with my weaker force now to get a fortress and hope that maybe the round will end soon? Or do I try to draw cards and like hope that I can get some like stronger cards or cards that match up better? Uh, and they sort of like... It sort of scales exponentially depending on how many cards you have. So like two mm-hmm. cards is way better than one card and three cards is way, way better than two cards and, and so on. So I really like that sort of push and pull mechanic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it creates a push or luck mechanic mm-hmm. to it, which mm-hmm. is fun. And it also creates a bluffing mechanic where, you know, cards get passed around or they get stolen based on uh-huh. how, how people attack each other. And so you might think that I'm now taking this with a high card that you know that I have, but in fact, I'm really using kind of a, a small card to try and bluff it, hoping right. that I'll be able to use that high card in a later fight. Well, and there's a lot that sort of gets added to the game as we go on, so we probably won't, shouldn't talk too much about mm-hmm. the specifics of it, but it gets different things get added as you go further and through, further and further through the deck, uh, which is really interesting. And I would say, uh, I think I only noticed you doing it, Larry, but there's there's definitely techniques to gain more information in Fortress. And um, you can not necessarily intend to win a battle, but you'll leave with information. And mm-hmm. I think that was something that was interesting. You may not win the battle, but you'll win the war. Exactly. Well, I don't know about that either, but you get information. <laughs> you didn't win the war. But um, I really enjoy how the, the hidden information works, too, because... Um, I think it came up a couple times where someone had two cards under something and then one player would attack with just one card thinking they could win and they did. And so now you're like, what is that one card? Because you don't know mm-hmm. what, what's been introduced into the game could be completely new. There was one time where there was a card that just always wins and, you know, that, that gets introduced. Spoilers! But um, it could be that there's something in play that you don't have any idea about or it could just be that Kevin played two really bad cards underneath the fortress trying to kind of make it look like he had a strong force in there and then so your five took it or whatever because it wasn't very good that's what's really fun about this well what i like about it though is that kind of spectator feel to that game Mm -hmm. um where 
the other people not involved in the battle are learning maybe something from it or they have to assume some things. Mm-hmm. So you definitely pay attention while the other people are doing what they're doing. It's it's very important. Right, well, exactly. and I was just going to say, if you don't, then you're actually missing out on a lot of information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting, too, is when you attack a fortress, if you don't win the attack, you get to see what you lost to. Mm-hmm. So sometimes, like Larry kept doing this, where he'd send an attack against me, and it's just, it's super weak, but he just wanted to find out what I have, because then he can sort of build up to it. Uh, and I, that would have definitely served me earlier in the game, because I know for the first several rounds that we played, I kept thinking, like, when somebody would take over a fortress, I'm like, oh man, that's probably really strong. And so I'd be sitting there, like, drawing cards, and then afterwards, I'd find out that, like, they won with a way weaker set of cards than I than I had, so I could have taken the fortress. There's a risk to that because you are wasting turns, mm-hmm. and you have to give up one of the cards that you attacked with to the person who you lost. Mm-hmm. So it's not without cost. Yeah. And in in the end of the day, I didn't ultimately win the game, so maybe it wasn't kind of the best strategy. <laughs> but I I liked it because it helped me kind of figure out what kind of to shoot for and aim mm-hmm. for. Yeah, you were knowledgeable about stuff. Not everybody else was. I yeah. mean, not as much. I also like the art in this game. It's very like it's it's very cute and just colorful. Uh, all the different like all colorful. The different... It's all green. No, no, there's a lot of different colors in it. Shades of green. No, there's, there's also oranges and red and fiello and flu. <laughs> it's not getting better. I do like the art. I thought though. we had gotten past that. I don't know. I do like the art. Though. You mean the fart? <laughs> That's that's the end. I'm the host of this episode. I'm calling it. No more F jokes. Whatever that nonsense is. I I bring a motion to uh, banish Matt for the next five minutes. Oh, I like it. Well, then let me talk about Flea for a while because I know um, I was the one who liked that game the most. Um, What I like about Flea, you know, because Fear and Fortress are similar-ish. They're mm-hmm. not cooperative. They're you know you have a hand and and you're kind of playing into something and the new rules come and change. The interesting thing for me uh, on Flea is it's basically like you know a wound up ball of twine that you're unraveling and you can only do it one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a puzzle game and so it's cooperative. Everybody is around there. Um, we had a discussion earlier about like is it a solo game or is it cooperative? And I I kind of like it as a cooperative game because I feel like. You want to bounce ideas off of somebody uh, because there is an order and, and it looks like one specific way you can unravel the deck. And if you don't do it, you know, a certain way, it may seem like you're doing all right and you'll get maybe a round or two in and then all of a sudden you hit your your dead end. Um, and I, f- I find that fascinating. It almost feels like an escape room to me or especially mm-hmm. those escape rooms in a box, you know, like yeah. you talk about like mm-hmm. unlock or escape in a box, whatever it would be. It feels like that where... Sure, once you figured this out, it loses some of its magic. Mm-hmm. But the experience of doing it up front and the fact that you don't see a lot of games like this, to me, make it just so much more interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that's true for all three of the games. I think the un- un- unraveling, the peeling of the onion as you go mm-hmm. through the deck is what's so appealing about these things. And I think they're all very... Um, uh, disposable games. They're in the same way that the Unlock kind of series are. Once you play through it once or twice, you know, you're, you're kind of done with it. And you can kind of give it to a friend and let them kind of experience. The games are relatively inexperience, uh, 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 inexpensive. I think they're just meant to kind of be consumed and move on. They're not 
meant to, I think, be kept in your collection in the same way that traditional games are. Well, what I like about that, too, is it reminds me of kind of like the comic book industry, especially when mm-hmm. comics were a little cheaper. And like, especially New York, where people would like read comics and then like leave them on the subway cars for somebody else to come by and pick up. And it's this weird like social mm-hmm. community sharing thing. And I feel like these games and the unlock and like escape room games are like the closest things to that in the board game industry where what a nice little thing to just pass on to somebody who maybe can't afford a game or who maybe hasn't played these kinds of games and it will open their eyes to a new way you know new mechanic or something and you just like feel like that's part of the fee is like you're starting a chain and i, I like that idea mm-hmm. a lot and it reminds me of a book like where you know i finished the book i liked mm-hmm. the book i'm not gonna reread yeah. the book necessarily i mean how many times do you need to reread harry potter but and but you hand it off to the next <laughs> person many many times none one exactly <laughs> i am so inspired right now to like create a list and stick it inside of a copy of flea and then like hand it off to someone <sighs> and have like everybody kind of write oh, their name and send it in to see really how cool. far it goes. So I also I, I want a friend can... of mine does geocaching which yeah. this oh, would be yes, like such a fun little thing to like show up in a geocaching yeah. site. Absolutely. It would be fun. You could you could track it too. Like just do like a hashtag for Twitter. God, right? Like mm-hmm. just say like when you get this write your name on it so we have like a complete list and post you know post like I received it and passed it on on Twitter hashtag you and know. where did you, you know, get it at? Leo like, caching, or you whatever. know, um, <laughs> <laughs> Gen Con's coming back. up. Are the F jokes yeah. are back. Uh, that was I'm, that was. I'm uh, down for that. I mean, it does feel like a fun little thing to do to just see how the we can expand the board game yeah. community. You know, um, I thought Flea was really fun. I, I agree with Kevin that the discovery process I think in Flea was probably the most interesting because yeah. in Fear and Fortress, a lot of the cards are sort of just like number cards. You know, and, and they interact with the mechanics of the game. But in Flea, sort of like every card is like something new and different. And so uh, the main mechanic, right, is the monster is sort of... The monster's in front of a player, and every player's turn, they have to like not have the monster in front of them. And so you're trying to like move around the monster or change the turn order or whatever so that no player ever starts their turn with the monster. Um, and so this sort of like hot potato yeah, element... I love that hot potato element. I thought it was a lot of fun. Except, except it's co-op, so it's like you're... Yeah, it's collective it's group hot potatoes. Hot potatoes. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, mm-hmm. it's we're like, like, oh my god, we're all holding this bomb, and we're all going to blow up. What do we keep do? Keep it going. The only thing I, only issue I had with that is, is when you make a mistake and you finally realize, oh, I'm trapped. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of rewind and start all over again. Right. And it's very hard to remember. Okay, I did this. I did that. I did this to kind of get through everything again. I don't know that I would. I. I Having gone through most of the deck, we didn't win. I think either time oh, that we've played, well, it. we got like but we got two cards from for the, the very end. end. Well, that's the point. And we hit the end of the deck. Yes, um, <laughs> I, I I don't know that I want to do it again. Like, yeah. I I've seen enough of it but to I think be happy with it. But I think that's the idea. It's is the it, consumable it's, piece. But it's also a memory game in a bit too. It's it's somebody practicing their memory. Can I now that I'm in the maze? Do I turn the right way? And have I done this enough times? If you want to talk about like what is the replayability, some people will want to replay it to finally memorize it. And then once they mm-hmm. feel like it's second nature, mm-hmm. they're done with it. Yeah. You know, you will eventually get to a point where you're done with it, but like some people will like that journey of like, can I memorize? Like, you know, you go through, it's like Simon. Okay, I can do two mm-hmm. rounds. Can mm-hmm. I do six rounds? Can I do 10 rounds of this? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to figure out is can it, they memorize it? It really reminds me of this old flash game called the impossible quiz. <laughs> Where you, you when you say old, how how long ago do you mean? Uh, maybe like ten years ago. Uh, <laughs> you disgust me. 
Uh, for a Flash game, that's pretty old. Yeah, uh, but it was basically this. Is, is this? It's like an online so like quiz where you have to like get the right answers, and they're hard questions. And it starts with just like weird questions, and then like goes into like wordplay, and then it starts to go into really weird stuff. Like the answer is like click some like the dot inside of an I in one of the letters somewhere to like, and so it keeps getting weirder and weirder, and you keep dying and dying and dying because you can't like figure out what each question is. But then every time you sort of figure one out you get a little bit further and you're like, oh, well, now I want to try to do it again. Uh, but I mean, that's what Flea's trying to do to you. I think that's what trying, it tries to do. It's trying to bait you into, like, come down the hole. Like, it's very Alice in Wonderland that way. Mm-hmm. Go, go down the rabbit hole a little further. Um, but I, that's, that's the escape room kind of aesthetic to me as well. Mm-hmm. And I love that kind of bit. So for me, that's why I think I like Flea the best. But I, I found joy in all three of them. I really did. Yeah, I think they're all three fun. I think they're all good games. I think they, um, you know, for games on the lighter end of the spectrum, you know, are great family games. That I wouldn't, I mean, they can be filler games if you only play, you know, one or two rounds of them. Mm-hmm. But um, they're not as quick as another party game. Like we've talked about lots of party games where you could do one quick round. This is, I feel like you should commit to these a little bit more. I mean, go through it's the not deck. a night. It's not a game that I would build a, a game night around. No, but but you know something like you have another hour at the end before everybody's kind of done to kind of play through the deck, you know, with folks. I, mm-hmm. I could see that totally happening. Well, and the other thing is like we played sort of through the whole deck of each of these games every time when we played it, which took maybe what like forty five minutes an hour. Um, but I, you could also play the game where you only play like one or two rounds of it, uh, and then you just pick up next time. Uh, from where you left off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's harder with like Flea where you're trying to memorize the, the yeah, order. True. But, um, but I do think that, yeah, you can get a taste for these games really easily too. Yeah, absolutely. So just to, just to finish out the trio, Fear. Fear was based around the idea of not losing, where you're trying not to break 15. Um, why was this different than Fortress? And why was it not our favorite compared to Fortress, I guess? Because they are very similar in a lot of ways, even if the mechanics a little bit different. They're they're different mind games. I, I think Fortress is more proactive, where you're building an army, mm-hmm. whereas Fear is true to its namesake. You're trying to be fearful of actually crapping out, and it's how much do you want to push your luck with having high cards and low cards in your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a different different feel when you play the game and Mm -hmm. for me i enjoy the feel of fortress more than i do the feel of fear i definitely (laughs) it just sounds like a very profound statement even though it wouldn't mean anything (laughs) i definitely feel like i have more control in fortress you're sort of like building up your army and you choose like when and how to attack with them whereas in flea you're kind of just like fear sorry fear um it's almost like it's hard to tell them all apart when they start with f's uh (laughs) So in Fear, it's like you're, you're really just trying to stay alive. But one thing I did like about Fear was the fact that the way the game works is you're all playing sort of like together blackjack where mm-hmm. you can't go over 15 or you bust. But then when somebody busts, they lose. But then every, of the remaining players, whoever has the highest value of their cards in their hand is the winner. And so there's this interesting like tension where you want high cards if somebody's going to bust because mm-hmm. then you win the round. But you don't want high cards... 
if it well, gets back to you because the, then you the then trick you'll bust. is as the game goes on more and more new rules and new cards come into play mm-hmm. that make it more likely that somebody could look like they're going to bust but then they have some trick up their mm-hmm. sleeve well, mm-hmm. even, but beyond that when someone busts you see what all the cards were that were in play mm-hmm. and so those cards get put on top of the deck so you have a sense of at least for the first couple rounds what cards people likely have based mm-hmm. on what's been played and what's mm-hmm. in your hand. Mm-hmm. So you can use that information to assess where you think people are in terms of likelihood of busting based on what number is out on the table. Maybe that's I, why Larry won. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really like the tension a lot in fear, actually. I think that's great. I, I'm i not good at it, meaning like I caused a lot of busting for most or big part of the rounds in the middle. But I never won because I never was hoarding the higher numbers either. Mm-hmm. I was too too scared, too fearful to like collect all the big numbers. But I knew how to like end the round. So you that's that's only half your fear, and that's only half exactly. of the game. And so I think there is something really interesting about that fact that it's not just mm-hmm. the one part of the game. You have to do both. I guess I guess what what I noticed about halfway through is that most of the like towards the end of most of the rounds there were a few exceptions but like basically everybody was down to like on each turn you have one option or like maybe you have a second mm-hmm. option but it's you, the game narrows as it goes on rather than kind of getting more and more options I feel like just like a poker yeah. game or something or 21 like you feel people start to sweat it's like you exactly. get tense as Which, as you're like is somebody going to bust before me can I switch the direction can mm-hmm. I you know it's like mm-hmm. you know adult intense uno I don't know exactly well like for me compared to fortress it's Fortress, you tend to get more options as the game goes on. As, as right. you draw more cards, you're not limited. You can have as many cards as you want in your hand. They don't do anything while they're sitting there, right? So you can bide your time. You can attack fortresses. You can move things around, and that that kind of widens the options over time. Whereas this one, I I, I didn't like. It started to feel scripted towards the end of a round, which usually was a good indication that it was about to end. But mm-hmm. um, you know, it just it creates a very different experience. I like having more options. I want, um, and so I think that that's what really pushes over the edge, like fundamentally for yeah, me. I agree with that. Okay. All right. It felt like an appetizer. Like all three games were a little an amuse bouche, where <laughs> I had a little tasting from. You know, like a trio, like you know, one of those little trio plates, and I liked that that they were similar. I didn't have to change my brain a hundred percent, but then they were each different enough where I felt like I was, you know, having a, a little bit of a journey in, in different locations. It was nice. All right. Any other final thoughts on flea, fear, fortress, fun facts? So, like, love, or pass, Matt? Uh, I would say on fear, I would pass. Uh, on Flea, I like it. And on Fortress, I like it. How about you, Kevin? I would say I like all three. I would, I, And I love all three if I have the money to pass them along to somebody. Because I think that added benefit of having them, playing them, and then sharing them with somebody is pretty meaningful for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so them being that bite size, you know... It's just like, do you have that money to kind of give away? Mm-hmm. If you do, then I then I love it. Yeah, I, I would say I like all three. I think they're a fun experience and um, something that I I would recommend folks give a try. You know, I, I definitely enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Fortress. I might get it just as like sort of a simple light game, even if it's not going through the deck in the same way, just as this is how the game is played. I have to explain it then, which is one of my least favorite things, but I'll teach some people how to play because it would only take a couple minutes, I assume. Um, 
The other two, um, I don't think... I like them, but I don't think I would add them to my collection. I don't love them like I lo loved Fortress. I am really intrigued, though, to like maybe buy a copy of Flea and just take to my Twitter and see if I can find somebody across the country to ship it to and then have them continue the trend because that sounds like it could be really fun. So, All right, and that is going to bring us... Out of the main agenda, do we still have the door close sound? We will put in a door closing sound, although that's more than when we bring okay, we are out never, of the closet. We talk about all these sounds we're going to put in, and we never put any sounds you in. Clearly was, have, we just put it in. You clearly did not go back and listen to our previous out of the closet episode, where I did put in a sound of a door closing. <laughs> it was very excellent. Thank you, I, thank I you really, Matthew. I really enjoyed the one we just put in, Matt. It was great. Yes, thank you. Um, so the secondary topic we're going to have today is talking about the Golden Geek Awards. Did I say it again? Did yes. I say it right this 17th, time? <laughs> seven, or 12th annual. The 12th me. annual Golden Geek Awards that just were announced. So what are these awards for the uninitiated? These awards um, are done by Board Game Geek. Every year, they have a variety of categories that they put up to the users of Board Game Geek. People can nominate uh, games in a variety of categories. And then of those nominees, like the top 10, all get voted on. And you can vote on multiple games in a category. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not like you're just picking one. Oh, they yeah. use some weird algorithm where they like prorate it out or do something to kind of figure out who the winner is. And then for each of these categories, after the p voting period has expired, they say who the winner and the two runner-ups are so um and there's about 30 categories there's a but, lot, there's a of, lot categories. of categories but some of them are video game based they're not all board games there are rpgs mm -hmm. and yep. video games I mean, a lot and of podcasts. it yeah a lot of and it podcasts. i think tends to be kind of a popularity contest like what people what users on board game geek have have seen or mm -hmm. heard or kind of played um, i think the games that are more new or have just recently came out even though they're within the 2017 year tend not to to win in these sort of things um but it's an interesting i think uh cross-section of what the community is playing and what they are looking at which we thought might be an interesting topic to kind of review and discuss so maybe going towards it's a little bit of a popularity contest it's what everybody's talking about what was uh what was the game of the year larry well so the first category the big category um is board game of the year kaboom and um, uh, should be no surprise, perhaps, if, if you're all clued into uh, Board Game Geek, that Gloomhaven uh, was the winner of Board Game of the Year. And I would say probably about half of all of the, <laughs> of the categories for Board Game of the Year. won everything. Yeah, yeah, I, think, yeah. I think it won six of the different categories, which seems like a pretty good showing. It's yeah. I mean, Considering it's, some of the categories it was not eligible for. <laughs> I, I, I think that's typical for these awards where there's a game or two that tends to kind of sweep through most of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the runners up for game of the year were Azul, which probably would have been my pick, to be mm -hmm. honest with mm -hmm. you, as opposed to Gloomhaven. And Seventh Continent, which um, I haven't gotten to play yet. I've seen playthroughs of it. My Kickstarter will hopefully be arriving for that one relatively Where soon. Where would people have played Ooh. that? Would it have been just shows? No, so there was an earlier Kickstarter of Seventh Continent. Oh, so I, some people do have it in their hands. Yes, and so I unfortunately missed the initial Kickstarter. So <sighs> I know, shock and awe. <laughs> when they uh, did the Kickstarter for the expansion, I was able to back that and then get the original as well. And hopefully that will be 
here in the next month or two. As far as Gloomhaven is concerned, honestly, I think it's deservedly so that it won so many categories, particularly Board Game of the Year. Uh, I mm. love Gloomhaven. I have a regular group I play every week. Uh, there's so much to explore in this game. It's it's I, I think it's awesome. It, you know, it's a good game, and I don't. I don't knock it at all for being a good game. It's a lot of fun. I think it's um, the card mechanic for the movement and the actions and Mm -hmm. all that um, are interesting. I think there's a lot of stuff in the box. I think there's a lot of value to the game. Yeah. I personally just feel that Azul is a more elegant design Mm -hmm. and is a more easily accessible game for folks. I think the price point is better. You know, um, Gloomhaven is a hundred plus bucks, whereas Azul is you know thirty or forty. And you can still never find it anywhere, even at that price point. <laughs> you know, well, there are categories for subcategories, right? Um, and that's where sort of the details might come in, right? Um, so, what 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 categories do we want to look at first? Uh, so let's look at innovative or party uh, or solo game or strategy game or thematic game. Oh wait, Gloomhaven won. All of those, too. <laughs> yes, but let's look at those categories because while, in my opinion, while I deserve Game of the Year, I don't know if it deserved to win in everything. <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's start with innovative because um, people have really talked about this game as being innovative. It's one, you know, um, the innovative category. The, what do the, they call out as the innovation when they talk about it? Well, I think it's the um, AI for all the monsters, as well as the synergy and the way that the card play works for your action selection for your hero. Mm-hmm. Some of the competitors that had the runners-up for innovative were Seventh Continent and Magic Maze. I, I don't know how innovative I necessarily would say either of those two games were either. I, I, to your point, Kevin, I don't necessarily know that Gloomhaven was incredibly innovative. But mm-hmm. I do think there were some interesting and kind of um, new spins on classic mechanics. What does Seventh Continent have going for it? What's that innovation? Uh, it uses a card-based system for exploration and and movement, and it has a a kind of a deck that's used as a timer. That within it has um, cards that you can use as skills or as equipment, and are used as kind of quote unquote dice or or for skill checks mm-hmm. as you move about the island. The island itself, which is made up of of cards, has actual like hidden numbers in it that might lead to secret areas or uh, upgrades of the card that kind of get developed over time. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the innovative way. It, Seventh Continent clearly was a um, mathematical design feat, I think, mm. to get all the cards done and to get them kind of interlocked to tell the story that it does and to mm-hmm. flow the way it does. So, I, I, you know, from a design perspective, there's a lot there. That's actually how I feel about Gloomhaven is I feel like it didn't necessarily innovate in the sense that it, like, did some kind of bold new mechanic more that I just think it's amazingly impressive that um, Isaac cannot pronounce it yeah that he was able to create this game and have it all work together because there is so much content in this game so much to balance designing all these monsters designing all the map tiles designing all the characters and their abilities and they all work together and combine in different ways and you use these pieces for this map and these ones for that scenario and you know these abilities have this initiative which works it's just like i mean that's definitely board of the game or board game of the year kind of Mm -hmm. description Mm -hmm. you know i yeah to that point like the innovation thing you know maybe it's smoothing out and making things better i do like the idea of how the ai on the monsters work i think that is a little different and 
fresh, maybe, I guess you could say. But then what was the third uh, game in, that was like a runner-up? Magic, Magic Maze. Maze. And that's the... The one they and that count one, that. no one can talk, um, and you only have one way in which you can move your pawns, um, and you're trying to get the pawns throughout this maze. Um, so, like for example, I can only move it left, and you can only move it right. So we have to work together to move the pieces through this maze, and we can't talk to each other. Instead, all I can do is move a like a a peg in front of you to remind you or to say bottle. Yeah. The ketchup bottle is what it looks like to say (laughs) basically, Kevin, there's something I want you to do. Look at the board, pay attention, you know, focus more. So it's a cooperative game. That's using nonverbal communication. Yeah. That's, that's different. I would give magic maze innovative game of the year because I think that I, I mean, co-op games are a really interesting category. I love real time co-ops where you have to work together. And this is a game where it's just like, it really is all down to working together as a team. And, you know, what What I like most about it is that there are four characters to control. But you play a four-character game, and you're not each controlling a character. You're controlling, like, a cardinal direction. And so you have to pay attention to a lot of different things at one time. Uh, and I think that sort of splitting splitting things up in this different way, I think that was really innovative. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on how you look at the category. Is it innovative mm-hmm. in terms of a design feat or is it innovative in terms of bringing a new way to play or a new way to experience games? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what is the right answer to that. Right. Well, I think they're all valid. It's just which one pushes the industry further into the next phase. What about the thematic game? That's another category that, that Gloomhaven won. What do you guys think about that? Do you guys feel that it's deserving of thematic game? Some of the other games that it was up against were um, Seventh Continent and This War of Mine. Uh, I definitely would not. I, I, I think Gloomhaven does a good job with the theme, but I feel like Seventh Continent, like hands down, deserves to win the thematic game award. Uh, I played through a, several hours of Seventh Continent, and never in a game have I felt so like connected to like the actions that I was doing. Uh, and I also felt like when I played the game, I. I often in games get into the mind because I'm, I'm, you know, I play to win competitive type player. What? Um, (laughs) Shock and all? What? Uh, But I get in a lot of times in the mindset of trying to like sort of beat the game and figure it out and be like, oh, you know, I think we should do like X because it'll be advantageous to us as a group. And like no matter what, every time in in Seventh Continent, when I would try to sort of like min max or like power game to get something because I thought I could get something good, I would always find out that not that I was necessarily getting punished, but that if I had paid attention to what like the story and theme told me like would make sense for the action that I would have been better off. And every time I sort of like ignored the story and the theme and sort of tried to power game it, I ended up not getting what I wanted. Uh, and so that I think was really what made like to give it a good example. Um, you know, we like come across a campsite or whatever, and there, you know, one of the mechanics in the game is you can do different actions and they sort of take different amounts of time, which you sort of burn off of this deck that's limited. If you ever run out, you lose. Uh, and so this camp, it's like, do you want to? you know, repair the camp and it costs like a whole bunch of time. And of course I'm like, Oh my gosh, well this camp has to be super awesome because it costs all this time. So let's go ahead and like repair it. Right. Uh, and so we spend all this time repairing this camp and afterwards it's like, okay, you repaired the camp. Now you have a place to rest. Do you have the tired condition? Like you can heal that. And I'm like, 
oh, I don't have the tired condition, <laughs> right? And so whereas if I would thought about it thematically of like, well, what, what would I need a camp for, right? And does it make sense to do that? It's like, that's what I really like about um, Seventh Continent. I felt that in all sorts of different places throughout that game. I think Gloomhaven, though, has a lot of that same elements to it. I mean, with the the road events or the, um, you know, the the the... Events well, that you there do. was even mm-hmm. one part of an adventure where we didn't pay attention to what somebody told us, and then we chose what we thought we were supposed to choose, and then uh, we ended up blocking out a whole storyline because of it. Yeah, we kind of chose the wrong thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and even even the um, goal that you have to eventually retire. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of story with with Gloomhaven. There's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of I think well formed story. Seventh Continent has that too to some extent. I don't mm-hmm. know that it has it as deeply as Gloomhaven does, mm. but you know, I don't my, know. My feeling on that with Gloomhaven is that I think it has that, and I'm not saying that Gloomhaven isn't a good example of a thematic game, but in Gloomhaven, the core gameplay is the dungeon crawling and all of that stuff that's True. fun, that's story elements, they all exist outside of the dungeon that's crawling. True. And mm-hmm. so I see that more as sort of like an icing on top, which I think that, that they did a great job with that, but that the actual core gameplay is very mechanical strategy, like mm-hmm. tactics game, which I love, mm, um, but I, doesn't feel the as The only thematic. caveat I'll put into that is like, you are playing a certain kind of race and type of character, like a regular like RPG kind of group. And I think while it's a dungeon crawl, you still have a role to play that could be tied back to the theme of your race or your class. And I think if you kind of go with it when you get to the dungeon crawl, you know, I think the thing that hurts Gloomhaven is the setup of the dungeon because there is a break between the storytelling part there. And if it was more smooth right into it, I think you might find that your character would behave more in a certain way. Well, it it almost sounds like in an MMO where like the, you can do the RPG server. You can fully embrace it. You Mm -hmm. could treat it almost like an RPG, but you don't have to, you could just make the decisions in the story, kind of do the exposition and then get right into the dungeon and the fun part and moving around. Or at least I'd say that's the fun part. Right. Well, and the other part I think for Gloomhaven that kind of works against it is you pick when you get to the dungeon a, a mission or what is it a um a thing that you have to do oh, a yeah, goal of some secret during, secret mission or whatever during the, the mission. and so those are random and generic mm-hmm. in, in theory and so they don't necessarily help you continue to tell your specific story right. it could mm-hmm. push you into something that's counter to what you're about to make sure you hit that goal mm-hmm. and that's the only danger there right so two other categories that gloomhaven one um were cooperative game and solo game and i want to talk about both of these for slightly interrelated reasons and slightly differing reasons so for the best cooperative game gloomhaven won with a runner-up being seventh continent and pandemic legacy and i gotta say i season two season two thank you i gotta say i personally am distraught that spirit island did not even make the Mm -hmm. list for cooperative game because i totally think it should have been there and I think it should have been there instead of Seventh Continent. Uh-huh. I do not think Seventh Continent is a cooperative game. I know it's billed as a cooperative game, mm-hmm. but for me, it it is really a solo experience. Yeah. Which then leads me to the second piece I wanted to talk about, which is that Gloomhaven also won for solo experience, uh-huh. and yeah. Seventh Continent, um, I feel really should have won for yeah. solo experience and Gloomhaven shouldn't have really been there because I think it's more of a co-op experience. Mm-hmm. So what do you all think on this this 
tent posts that I'm sticking out here. I've never played Gloomhaven, but from ev- the way that everyone's described it to me, both like here from people on, you know, people I've interacted with on Twitter and back home in Minnesota and stuff like that, like Gloomhaven, I would I would be surprised if Gloomhaven was a game you want to play solo. I mean, maybe you don't and that's your option, but it just strikes me as like very much a great co-op game and then like you can do a dungeon crawl by yourself. But it loses a lot of what gives it you know that certain that certain like je ne sais quoi that it's the feeling of a party right mm-hmm. like it's yeah you're... you are a mercenary party like that's exactly. like the concept of it so I, I agree and i think that that um i think that seventh continent is like a solo game you know seventh continent it's like you can play it with multiple players but it's pretty much a game that is seems like it was designed for and it probably plays best as solo or maybe like with a second person to sort of like decide things together. Seventh Continent is very much prone to that alpha gamer syndrome. Mm-hmm. While, while in theory, everybody can make their own decision about what they want to do with their character. If one person wants to kind of take charge and dictate it, that's it. More yeah. so than Gloomhaven? Yeah, much more yes. so than Gloomhaven. I haven't played Seven Continent you know, yet, so I'm not sure how Spirit easy Island, it is. Island, I think, as folks probably know from our prior review, there is no at all, mm-hmm. you know, alpha gamer, and I think that in of itself is what makes it like the top top co-op game. Absolutely. That and Magic Maze are like more interesting co-op games than the ones that won in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I we, agree. We gushed about Spirit Island, and I feel like we would. I definitely agree. I think it should have won co-op games. Is it just not getting in people's hands? Why are no people not noticing how awesome that is? Yeah, I think it. it you know, it was a Kickstarter. It didn't have a big uh, publisher behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think it got a lot of the buzz because the um, Kickstarter didn't hit the numbers that Gloomhaven has. Right. Oh, course, well, I guess. it didn't. I it didn't. Yeah, it didn't. It doesn't have quite as much of like polish and and flair as gloomhaven does Mm -hmm. and let's face it right it's you know as larry mentioned earlier this is a popularity contest this you know Mm -hmm. these awards and gloomhaven is the big hot thing that everybody on bgg is loves and is all about so and not just bgg i know people in like the magic world who i didn't even know Mm -hmm. cared about a board game were like oh i saw gloomhaven i had to buy it all my friends were talking about it i'm like do you when are you going to play this? Like, I, mean, I don't even know. Okay, they, I, they like, did. I love Gloomhaven, though, I do have to say. Yeah, it's I'm not trying to love it, too. It's excellent. But, but i got to say, shocked that somehow Spirit Island isn't at the top of some yeah. list for co-op. It must well, not be getting played, and there's not enough copies of it out there. I, I know multiple of the people who I expected to, who play a lot of board games, only found out about it when we reviewed it. Which And for some of them, it's like, really? Like... You're on top of all these releases. Did you just miss the Kickstarter? Like I know at least one of my friends so who went out and bought it right Listeners, right? Play Spirit Island. You it's need so to good. talk up Spirit <laughs> Island, friends. So let's let you mention expansions. Let's talk about that because that's not a Gloomhaven win. So that's yes. it's, o- probably only because there is no expansion. <laughs> yeah. Although that's they're true. they're working on one. He's working on one. Well, there you go. Heard. 2018. <laughs> um, so there, the big winner was Scythe, the uh, Win Raiders Gambit. And the two kind of runner-ups were both Terraforming Mars expansions. What do you think about that? I'm Our glad... resident Terraforming Mars expert. <laughs> Wait, I'm please. so glad Terraforming Mars got some attention, but I don't know why it didn't win. If only because like adding a new board is adds a lot to Terraforming Mars. You can play 100 games on the main board, and then you can play 100 more on the green side. <laughs> 
Maybe only like 50 more on the blue side. But do they add anything to the game? Yes, they change how you play completely. How? What is good on... Like the, the blue board has a, some corporations that actually become arguably too strong. But how you play on the green board is totally different than how you play on the, the red board. The main board is very much about getting on the board. You need cities, you need greenery, you need, um, you need to play the actual board. The green board, you don't really have to do that the, um, as much. There's awards for um, being in the north, like near the oceans or in the south. But you could also just... You can kind of go for both or neither or one and or just ignore the concept completely. What about the Venus expansion? Was that was that if you had to pick between the Venus expansion and the boards, which would you pick? The boards. Why? The Venus expansion adds a new track that kind of makes sense. I don't really know why terraforming Mars cares that much about Venus. Not that I get caught up too much in theme. Sure. (laughs) So I don't get caught up in too much in theme. I just don't really I don't get what it adds other than a new track. And so the, the experience that I and a bunch of other people have had is just mm-hmm. that it's like, yeah, it adds another track and you get new things. And some of the corporations are, you know, really good additions because mixing up the corporations is a good thing. But So of the two, two expansions, the boards you think is the better yes. one. So let me posit this as a hypothetical or as a potential reason why Scythe won. You get more for the expansion with size. Mm-hmm. You 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 feel as though there's more value to your dollar. Whereas with terraforming Mars with the boards, I think there's a sense of like this well, is that, all the expansion is. It's just it, the boards. Not that it's an expan- like expensive expansion or anything. It's not. No, it's, it's just not. a board. But, I mean, it's, I it's pretty easy to pick up. It doesn't up. to me like an extra board or two to play on. It's great and it's fun and for players who are into the game, it's going to be awesome. Yes. But it's also it doesn't really. It doesn't dramatically change the game. Because, like with Scythe, right? it adds I, the actual like airship miniatures sure. to the game, and that like that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And I can I can totally agree with that. I can even maybe concede that terraforming Mars should have done the two together, or maybe they should have combined yeah. the upcoming expansion of just cards with their expansion of just a board, and that might have been something good to package well, together. But I think the board I think the boards add a lot more than than you're giving it credit. Matt, just because like it's, it totally it's like changes. A, it's like a new magic set, right? The cards are new, the mechanics are new. It changes the game, but fundamentally, it's not like a dramatic departure from the game. So, like to me, more of the same is. I feel like that the boards are more of the same, right? What's different? Mm-hmm. Not not how milestones work. What's different is different types of milestones. What's different? Not how awards work. There's just different awards. What's different? Not how the board works, but there's just a different board. Uh, which it does change a lot about how you have to play to do well and win, and the, the boards feel different in gameplay. But it's not like from a design perspective. Sure, they didn't design any new mechanics; they just have new content. Venus, kind of ironically, was there was the attempt to like add some kind of new mechanic to it. Although to me, it feels very parasitic and very yeah. like. It, Venus only cares about Venus, and so it's sort of they make some attempts to. They try to integrate that, it, but it but... feels very separate. Um, yeah. And I I would agree with you. I think the boards are better, uh, even though Venus was more of an expansion-y expansion. Uh, at the end of the day, I think Terraforming Mars is already a great game, and just more content, more cards, more boards is sure. great. I mean, then I I just want them to create more content forever, kind of like Magic. So that's that's a good thing in my mind. Maybe it doesn't need a full expansion because they already got it perfect the first time. <laughs> that's That's fine with me. Especially the art. 
No, okay, <laughs> they didn't quite get it perfect. Please re-release the game with better art. <laughs> so speaking of... Speaking of art, one of the categories was artwork and presentation. And um, the winner there was photosynthesis with a runner-up in Azul. Wait, did you say Gloomhaven? No, no. Gloomhaven did not win an what? artwork and presentation. <laughs> Shocking and surprise. So photosynthesis is the one with like a bunch of cardboard trees? It's the one with the trees that stand up on the board and look like a little forest as you play through it, yes. It does look very charming when it, you play. It has a beautiful your presentation. Tree, your forest grows over time. Each tree cool. is like a different season. It's very pretty. I mean, folks can go back. The revolves around the board yeah, in a very square motion. To our previous <laughs> review and, and kind of hear our thoughts on that. I think, I think we all agreed that it was a beautiful game. Yeah, no yes. I think it's beautiful. But... Is it more beautiful than Azul? Which I think we all also agreed was a beautiful game. Right. My my thing, I, I haven't played it. I've only seen the game. And it struck me that, like, I think Azul is, like, very visually striking. Like, I mm-hmm. think it looks very cool. And I like that you can customize it a bit more. When I've seen Photosynthesis, like, it looks good. I just didn't, I don't see why it got the nod over some other games. See, this is a tough call for me. Because I think both of these games are both like visually striking mm-hmm. and beautiful. I think they both have great artwork, visual presentation. I think photosynthesis probably won out because it's been out longer. It came mm-hmm. out at Gen Con of last year, whereas Azul has only recently hit the States. And you can get photosynthesis. You can get photosynthesis. Right? Azul is like... It's hard to get. Really well, hard to I, get still. And I'm going to say this. I do think that photosynthesis looks different than other games. Yes. Where Azul, while has beautiful design to it, is a flat board with tiles on it yes. at its core. Huh. Interesting. At its core, I'm not saying that they're not beautiful and that they don't have a weight to them and a beauty to them. But like, if you're showing somebody something else, you know, if you're showing them Monopoly versus um, Mousetrap, and Mousetrap has these 3D, mm-hmm. you know, gimmicky things to them, it's more appealing than a flat board. I do think photosynthesis wins by going up in three dimension. You've convinced me. I, I'm going to hmm. take the opposite stance, actually. Uh-uh. I think that standees are very old. They're not standees. standees they're standees. They're they're two pieces of cardboard that you, they crisscross and you put them together. Games have had that for decades. Yeah, when you um, when you say and, standees, though, I think of like little round cutout things with a plastic clip at the bottom. They're nice standees, and I think the game looks beautiful well, and charming. And that's it. So this is presentation. This yeah. is not just that it's a but, standee. Uh-huh. It's I how think, they use the standees. I think Azul is striking. I think it's visually right. striking. I think I, I see a game of Azul being played that the pieces are so like the tiles are so tiley that I love it and I love the color scheme I love the design of everything in the game including like the little bag and everything it just it's so well thought out I, I would put it I, I would give it to Azul if you had Azul on one table and photosynthesis on another table which table do you think would cause more people to stop and stare at the game I think the answer is photosynthesis hmm. I agree with you that the tiles feel nice but, but as the trees start to grow only... and they're all over the board it's a more striking image and the feeling the tactile piece is only for the people who are playing it I, I guess what I just can't see I, I can't not see little cardboard trees to me like they, it's exactly what Matt's saying where they're little standees I can tell that they stuck one piece of cardboard with another piece of cardboard and they're, it's very nice cardboard I'm just not like, okay, you made a pop-up forest mm-hmm. in my mind. Like, it looks... It's a nice pop-up forest. It looks great. And this, isn't me, and this isn't me bashing it either. I'm, I'm kind of... But I think that's part of the, the beauty to, to it is that it almost is like a pop-up 
like you say. Mm-hmm. Like I think that's actually a great description of it. A pop-up forest is kind of beautiful, just like a children's book is somehow sometimes more art-worthy than you know other art pieces you see. I think we might just have to stay divided on this one. <gasps> I think we just are. The third runner-up, though, <laughs> oh. was Sagrada. And no shade. <laughs> I like Sagrada. I think it's a wonderful game. But I think it's I think Azul is probably. I don't think it's in the same category. I as don't the think two it should games. have been nominated. Honestly, I think it's what? I would have. I, I think. No. I think Dice Forge should have been nominated. Oh no! I think I think Sagrada is a beautiful game. Sagrada looks glass. nice. I mean, I got it, but it's just colorful stained glass. It's, it's nice. It's pretty. I think Dice Forge. They did a lot of like, like Dice Forge. The art is beautiful. The design, like the physical design of the components, is really interesting. The whole dice with like the Legos pushing them together, pieces like they design that whole system. I think it's really well done, and the graphic design of the game is stellar as well. So I think Dice Forge, I would, I would give it at the very least, I would put it in the runner-up category. Um, hmm. All right. Well, I don't necessarily know that I agree with you on that, but art is in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. <laughs> There's one more category I want to talk about because it's one of the few other games that I actually have ever sought out to play, and that was uh, the best card game, Century Spice Road, which is, um, it's kind of like, it's a little bit like Splendor-ish, where you're taking resources and then using those resources to buy things, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically cards, Um, but it just has a lot more going on, and you're really, you're seeking to build an engine rather than just kind of collect you know, a little bit of a bonus that helps you later on in Splendor. This game, I've only played a few times. It's very fun. I enjoy it a lot. It scratches the right itches, terraforming Mars and magic and whatnot. I, I really enjoyed it. And I was really, it was. I thought it was a little bit older, so I didn't even know it was up to be voted on this year. And then I saw it won and I was all happy. Yeah, I, I like Century Spice Road. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a fun game and I'm really looking forward to the expansion. I don't know that I view it as a card game, though. Can we talk about that for a second? Because this ca- category of card game is weird to me that these are the games that are in it. I mean, I get that you're playing cards from your hand, you're using cards. But, but I mean, me, you play cards from Gloomhaven. How did that not win this category? I think well, the it, big difference is that a card game category, which I, I do agree, it's a little bit weird of a category to have. But I think it basically means games where the primary driver is cards. Yes. But Gloomhaven, the primary driver is cards. So, yeah, I mean the stories are all giant map with minis. Yeah, it's a board and, like, game. With there's it. a lot but of Clank stuff. And, Clank and Space yeah, has a giant map, and you're moving around. That's why I right. think it's odd but that Clank was in the card game category. Why I don't understand it. I, I, I feel don't, Clank is more of a card game than Century Spice Road. Oh wait, what? Yeah, I, I okay, think that I don't know. I, I think Clank. I think Clank should be in the the card game. Clank is totally a deck building game. It's a deck building game with a board game. Whereas I think Gloomhaven is a. You know, it's like saying that Monopoly is a just is a because it has card game because it has Century cards. Spice Road is a is a hand building game, right? Right. You're building your engine of which cards are you going to put into your hand to mm-hmm. be able to use. Well, Gloomhaven, exactly. aren't you managing your hand with all of the powers that go through? You have a, a you have you're a building deck, it too, you know, to some a little bit. But the primary driver of the gameplay is like the tactical. Now like, I have to go look and playing. see whether or not it was one of the nominees. It is very vague. There's it no is, way. It, if it was a nominee, it was it not won, a nominee. Of course, if it was a nominee, it would have won. No, <laughs> it was not nominated for the card game category. That is actually really interesting because, like, I would. It's it's strange that I would call Terraforming Mars a card game, even though it has a large board component. I would call Century Spice Road a card game i would call clank a card game and they're all very different i feel like what qualifies as a card game there's several different types of games that sort of qualify for that i think you have um you have deck building games 
Yep. You have tableau building games and you have like hand management games and drafting. I, I, and drafting games, right? I feel like all of those sort of like encapsulate the card game category. Uh, I do think that there's a lot of wiggle room in there, but I am super happy that Century Spice Road won because I love this game. Mm-hmm. I love uh, this game too. It's so I think good. it's so good. What about Custom Heroes? Because that came out and that's, I don't know if you guys remember that, that's the card crafting game. Yes, and I'm kind of. It was nominated. Was it, oh, it was nominated. But I'm kind of sad that it didn't win, or at least get a runner up. Should have gotten a runner up. At least a runner up. It was very interesting um, for card crafting games. But I want to talk more about Century Spice Road. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but enough about that. Uh, I think Century Spice Road for me just replaced Splendor. Uh, I, I, think I think it's a trade up it, for me too. Not that Splendor is a bad game. I think it's a good game. But Century Spice Road is just like. I think it managed to be both simpler and easier to teach than Splendor, but also have more depth. I don't know. There's something about Splendor that just appeals to me. Mm. I, I agree. I think I love the weight of the pieces yeah. in Splendor. That's so good. I mean, I, I agree. I think Century yeah. Spice Road is probably a like a meatier game. There's more to it, but but there's just something about the simplicity of Splendor, the the basicness of it that I enjoy. I think I just think that Century Spice Road is so elegant. I love that there's like the cards. Isn't are all there the a follow up to that coming soon? Yes, this yeah. year it's uh, Eastern Wonders or something like that. Yes, I think. Oh, which That's is this year. This year, I which believe. is yeah. basically its own game. It's a separate game. It's in the Century series, which is a new series about different centuries. It's, th- it's th- basically three games in one series, and so you play Century Spice Road, and the outcome of that game will determine setup for the. Uh, Eastern Monuments oh, really? game, Ooh. or you can play the other game by itself. So when we review it, we oh. get to play a game of Century Spice Road. Exactly. Two? I did not realize All three are linked. I did not realize that that would be the mechanic. I yeah. Well, and just... if that's not the mechanic, they better work on it. Yeah, no, that's no. A great it's my they it's my understanding it. that they're all three going to be linked and. Basically, the outcome of one it affects the setup of the second one. Got now, it. whether it affects so it as long in a as substantial I win the way, first one, then I've got it, and then I'm going to build an insurmountable lead. It could be that you uh, you get punished for winning the first game. Did you ever think of that, Matt? Uh, no. So maybe you want to lose the first game so that you can win the, the cool new second game, and just let me win Century Spice Road. So speaking of Spice Road, and we've talked about a couple of these uh, again. I don't think we got to the family game category we did not because century spice road was a runner-up with azul so. doing its only win i think it's runner-up mm-hmm. a lot but it was, it was, its I only was win. really hoping you were going to say gloomhaven it won <laughs> gloomhaven beat it out for family games only because you know it what? wasn't nominated gloomhaven takes the family to put it all together I, I voted for gloomhaven in every category every rpg category <laughs> every podcast category i wanted it to win everything but what is the podcast of gloomhaven like it, it, it's just the box on a table with like dead silence for 60 minutes yeah. and, and then and I think people comes would, up and knocks it off the table and people know, would listen to that oh yeah what, what did Gloomhaven have to say this week <laughs> deep deep ponderous thoughts I hear creaking uh, so I, I'm glad though that Azul won a family game I think that's the right decision absolutely I, I, you know it again people can go back and listen to our prior review of this game but it, it's it's a game I think that everybody must have in their collection. Yeah. It's like an instant classic, and it feels like a game. Like it feels like a timeless game that was designed ages ago. I, I, I would be surprised if this was not nominated for a Spiel des Jahres. I don't know if it'll win, but it for sure is going to get nominated. You were, so how did it not get strategy game? It got runner up to Gloomhaven. 
Well, and I love me some Gloomhaven, but like I don't know. I feel I, like popularity. Actually, I feel like it's what Azul does. You know what I mean? That's their whole thing. Mm. I think Gloomhaven crosses over both kind of the Ameritrash and Euro categories. It's almost like a war strategy right. game kind yeah. of idea. Whereas, mm. you know, it's a dungeon crawler, but it also it's has true. Euro elements to it. Whereas I think Azul is really just limited to the Euro crowd. So I, I think Gloomhaven has a broader appeal in that respect. You know, there's no, there isn't any like abstract game category. And I, I wonder like if, if that's where family, were, do you think that's that, how family got it? Oh no, because a lot of family games are not abstract. They're okay. very yeah. like cute, cute and theme driven. I feel like if there were an abstract game category, that's what I would say Azul would definitely win too. I don't know if there's enough abstract games released every year there to might kind of warrant be. its own category. No, probably not. I don't know. Yeah. But definitely Azul, great family game. It's so easy to learn. But you know what? There's a lot of games that are released are party games. And can we just say that I think all the winners of this category are awful? It's <laughs> Weird Words, which I really didn't like. Um, Tortuga, whatever the year, 1667, which I really didn't like. And Spyfall, Spyfall 2, which is basically Spyfall. I, I really didn't like. Mm-hmm. So... You know, I was not impressed with any of these nominees or any of these winners. I have to say, I feel like the party game genre is in a little bit of a glut right now Mm -hmm. where it's just like tons and tons of games that are like very slight rehashes of other games that were successful a couple years ago. Uh, You know, I think the One Night Ultimate Werewolf games a bezier game sort of like broke open this category with a lot of different things and now it's sort of been but between them and code names it's sort of like mm-hmm. built out this huge new category that's sort of then just been like beaten to death although you said you liked code names for two or whatever it's called uh, right? i yeah yes i loved that it's a two player um, the two player i love code names duet that one for the two player game for two player category. game yes, yes. For two player game category code names duet one which i think it was an excellent improvement on code names uh, the one game of the party games that I did like was Chameleon, which is sort of a variation on the Spyfall mix it with a word game thing, which seems to be like the thing of the year uh, right. this year. But it was it was fun. Have you played Muse? I, I've heard really good things about Muse, but I've not had a yes. chance to play it. Oh my god, I'm so glad oh. that you mentioned that, because I played Muse and it absolutely should have won. That's on the list for party games. I, I yeah. totally missed it. I totally missed it, and I forgot that Maybe I Maybe everybody it. else did too. So tell, tell, us, tell, tell us about that So game. good. Okay, so Muse is almost like a mix-up between Codenames and Dixit and Mysterium, sort of. Uh, it's a team-based game. Uh, the one team draws a bunch of sort of abstract dream cards, like in Mysterium or Dixit, right? And then they pick a category card the category might be like um a book title for instance is like a category then what they do is they give the category and one of those cards to the other team to one of the people on the other team and that person the like the clue giver then has to give that type of clue to match the card that they've been given but what they don't know is the other like five cards that you didn't give them and so what you're trying to do is you oh. pick a category and a card that you think will try to get them to give a clue that will then not match with that card, but match with one of the other cards. So they give their teammate the clue, you shuffle up all of the cards together, and the teammate has to try to guess which, cl- which card matches the clue that was given. Do they only give one clue? They give one clue, yep. Oh, so, um, that's so interesting. So it's kind of almost an inverse of Dixit to some extent. Yeah, a little bit. And so, and so, but it's just a lot of 
there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with sort of picking from these cards and like, oh, I think, you know, if I pick this card, then they're probably going to say this word. Let me try to pass that to them. And then, then, you know, they say like flower or whatever for some clue because there's like a flower looking type thing on the card that you gave them. But then one of your other cards was literally like a flower. And so um, it's it's really interesting. There's so they a lot have of to give the clue stuff. before they can see the other cards. Exactly. So they see one of the cards, the card that they're trying to get their teammate to get, but they don't know what the other cards are. And so there's a lot of sort of speculating, like, well, what do I think the person's going to give the clue? Um, mm-hmm. Like there was this one where we passed them these things that sort of looked like gumballs, and we thought they were going to say something like ball. Right, and one of our other things totally had a ball on it. We were like, "This is perfect." And then the clue they give was like um, cane or sugar cane or something, something like sugar related. And we were like, "Oh, those balls are actually like gumballs." And so then their teammate got it because of that. So, but it's just it was a it's beautiful the the art in this game. I think even maybe better than Mysterium and Dixit. Like I loved hmm. the different art pieces on the cards. They I'm were have all to check phenomenal. It out. And then good. it was just really fun. So. I surprised. Did it even get nominated? Nope. Should have won. Yeah. Like should have won that category. Up, right? It was nominated. Just Sorry. It didn't get. It didn't, it didn't get win. runner up. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think it should have won. It was absolutely fantastic. Good to know. Awesome. All righty. Cool. I think that about wraps up that talk topic. We've talked it out. We're done with the topic. And <laughs> that wraps up this episode. So I want to encourage everybody to hit subscribe on whatever you happen to be listening to this on, whether it's SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, Stitcher or Google Play, Google Play Music, blah, blah, whatever, whatever, wherever them. you're listening, <laughs> hit subscribe. And so you can get it magically sent to your phone every single week. Uh, make sure to follow us also on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at The Game Agenda. And until... I also wanted to say just a big thanks to everybody for participating in our uh, contests. Yay. Yeah. Yay. Congratulations to all the winners. A lot of submissions and it was fantastic and gave us some new ideas on some games to bring out of the closet. Very excited about that. And uh, like Nick said, congratulations to our winners and you should have your steam codes already and uh, you should know who you are. So congrats. Well done. All right. One more shout out to everybody who participated. We did get a lot of great ideas from that. But uh, I think that's it for us. Until next week, I'm Nick. I'm Matt. I'm Kevin. And I'm Larry. Bye. Bye.